This is episode 32 of the Seaweed Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. We're continuing with Women's Camp 2019, SOMA, One Body, One Spirit. This is session two with Ashley Bell. Thank you. Thank you. She is so great. She's great. She's great. Seriously, she just kind of summed up where I am in my life right now. It's too bad I'm not giving all of my testimony or you guys would know more about that. But you will hear some about me this morning. Um, Good morning. Good morning. Get louder. Are you guys excited to be here this morning? Yes, yes. I'm excited to be here. I've never been to Camp Tadmore before, so this is my first time being here. I am thrilled. I saw two zebras yesterday. Um, It's just not normal. It still hasn't sunk in that I saw two zebras. It's an amazing thing. But I'm really excited to be here with you guys. I had so much fun last night at the 70s party. Um, It's just a great time to build community. And so my encouragement to you, you guys are already doing this. As Julie highlighted yesterday, um, 50% of us are operating in loneliness And right now, this weekend is an opportunity where we don't have to operate in loneliness. Camp Tadmore has created all these opportunities for us to fellowship together, to hang out together, to eat together, to play together. And so if you're in a place of loneliness right now, and I've been there, if you're in a place of loneliness right now, you don't have to be there anymore. This weekend is setting you free, right? Amen? It's setting you free. So let's get out there and let's not operate from a place of loneliness. That was not in my talk, but I just wanted to say that. So so, um, my name is Ashley, as Lindsay said, and I am originally from Virginia. So I moved out here about 10 years ago from a totally different planet than Portland, Oregon, which is... (laughs) where I live now. And Portland is this weird, quirky, beautiful, special place um, (laughs) that is very spirited. And I hated it for the first two years, but God has given me a great love for Portland, Oregon, and for Oregon in general. And there are other things that I love, like you may have noticed that I've taken my shoes off right now. And you probably also noticed that I have on two different color socks, although one is gray and one is black, so they look similar, but I don't like to wear the same socks. It's my way of sticking it to the man and going against (laughs) establishment so I don't wear the same color socks. You know, it's just the little things. You don't have to wear the same color socks if you don't want to. Another thing that I love is Dolly Parton. I love, right? Got some Dolly Parton fans. My favorite song is, yeah, is Jolene is my favorite song. And I've, I've actually met Dolly Parton twice. And I like to think she touched my face once. It was, she caressed my face. It was a really sweet moment. I like to think that Dolly and I are best friends. She wouldn't agree with me, but that's okay. She doesn't have to. You can be friends with anyone you want in your mind. It just may not be reality. I also like Beyonce. I'm a big Beyonce fan. Lion King is coming out this weekend. I'm excited about that. But I'm also a little fearful about watching this new Lion King because I'm afraid it's going to make me think that I can really hug and touch 
little lion cubs <laughs> or big or big lions and it's just, it's not safe it's it's not safe but it's a problem um i'm currently the outreach pastor at cedar mill bible church and i've been there for a month <laughs> not not a month it will be a month july 25th but that that's part of the journey that i'm on in your programs it says that i worked at portland rescue mission and at the time that was completely true and i had no plans of leaving but god had different plans than me as he often does so I was introduced to the Joy of It team um, probably 14, 15 months ago uh, at this conference called the Verity Forum and that takes place in Portland. Have you guys heard of that? Um, I don't think it's happening anymore. I could be wrong. But anyway, it was this conference and we were, we, me, I went there by myself because I like to hang out by myself a lot. So I went there by myself and I was in this workshop that talked about diversity and so I'm sitting there and I found that like I could, there was just no space. I was like cramped up and I didn't have anywhere to go. And so there was no space and I was sitting there thinking I don't have anything to like write on, I can't put my computer out, I can't have all my bags, I can't have all my things. Um, and so I decided that I was going to create a space for me in the back of the room. I saw this table, and I thought, oh, I should sit at that table. It didn't have any chairs at it, by the way. It just had books and stuff on top of it. And I thought, I should sit at that table by myself. So I went there, and I moved the table from the wall, and I put a seat there, and I was sitting at the table by myself. And this blonde-haired, wonderful woman walked up to me, and her name was Joy. And she says, hey, can I sit with you? And in my mind, I'm thinking, no. <laughs> but the Lord softened my heart, and I said yes. And so we're sitting there, and she then says to me, hey, do you want to have lunch with me? Because I'd really like to get to know you. And I'm like, uh, in my mind, uh, no. <laughs> but I said yes. And from there, I got connected with Joy of It. So it's, um, I'm so grateful for this team that God has placed me on just because I have never known the depths of unity and community um, before getting in relationship with them. I think they have walked with me in friendship and sisterhood through some very tough places and the Lord has used them to usher me into greater relationship with him. And so living out this reality of unity is just not meant to be done as one. Um, God is giving me this really great team, and he's giving you guys this really great team. And so this conversation of unity is meant to be lived out in community, and it's essential to staying sane in a very much divided world. Um, often in church circles and in our world at large, we get uniformity confused with unity, right? And these two things aren't necessarily the same. What uniformity does is it stifles uniqueness. How many of you have ever felt like your uniqueness was stifled? Whatever that was, right? Uniformity stifles uniqueness. And something that I'm grateful for in the church that I'm a part of and, and the Joy of It team is that I never am asked to be anything less than what God has created me to be. 
It's so fun and refreshing and encouraging and fruitful to be on a team like that. It's a tangible reminder of Jesus to me because Jesus never asked us to stop being who he created us to be. He'll never ask you that. Recently, you guys um, may know this, the national women's soccer team won the FIFA World Cup for the fourth time, right? For the fourth time. And I may be mistaken, but I think they're the only team that's won it four times. I could be wrong. But that's an amazing accomplishment, right? That's crazy. And I don't know much about soccer. I've been to a lot of games. Um, the only thing I really know about soccer is that they run a lot, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> Not ever. And sometimes they run, and they don't ever score goals. It's just like you just run for over 90 minutes, and for what? So, but anyway. They're amazing athletes. They're awesome. However, when I was watching them play, I found myself completely wrapped up into the game of soccer. And so I started doing some researching. And then I looked at what like a soccer team is made up of. And you guys may already know this, but soccer teams have 11 members. And within the 11 members on the field, there's eight different positions. And each of them bring their own unique story, personality, culture, and style to the team, but they function together to accomplish a common goal. In their case, it was to win the world title. Likewise, we bring our own unique story and personality and culture and style to any team or church we're a part of. And it's important to remember that we're talking about both little c, so our church communities, our local communities, and we're also talking about the big church as a whole. Everyone is unique. We are all unique in this room. And we'll be able to offer their own experiences and knowledge that others may not possess because of that uniqueness. This highlights the reality that unity in the midst of diversity is one of the greatest gifts and tools that we have to offer. It's one of the best things that Jesus has given us to reflect his gospel. It's through that that he created unity so that we can learn how to function as God intended. Reflected heaven here on earth. We don't have to wait. We can reflect it here on earth. That's amazing. Unity in the midst of diversity creates a beautiful symphony. How many of you guys have been to the symphony? All the notes play together so beautifully, but they're all different. Unity creates this beautiful symphony in the midst of diversity that serenades the audience with the message of salvation. And that message is that Jesus came and died to reconcile us all. No matter what we look like, no matter what we do, no matter who we are, he came to reconcile us into one body, to be one body, one spirit. Amen. Come on. I hear that. Before you, feel, feel free to shout it out. If you want to shout out, shout it out. Um, so before we talk about corporate unity, we need to talk about the unity that we have with Christ. We need to be reminded that God desires us to be reconciled with him individually. Because without a personal relationship with him, it is impossible to bear fruit and live out our call to be unified. Right? We can't do it. It's impossible. You can try to do it, but it's going to be so, so hard. And it's already hard. Okay? It's already hard. 
The scripture says this in John 15, 4 through 5, and I'm reading scriptures from the New American Standard Bible, so um, if you have that, that's great. Um, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. We can't have unity. We can't have solid, good relationships without Jesus Christ. I mean, it is a miracle. Relationships are a miracle, really, when you think about them. The book of Ephesians, which is where we're going to camp today, um, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 specifically. Um, chapter 4 gives us a, a perspective of unity. And unity is not just a buzzword, so I want us to get that out of our heads. It's not just a buzzword, it's not just a fad, although at times it gets politicized and has been politicized, it gets treated as a fad. Unity is actually a calling. It's our calling. One that we are called to is those who proclaim and profess Christ. However, unity isn't easy, as we all know. It takes hard work. It takes discipline. It takes perseverance. It takes courage. It takes selflessness. It requires us to forge love out of the depths of dissonance. And dissonance is that area of where I'm in a relationship with someone and they believe something that's different than me and there's this incongruence, there's this tension, but yet we can work through it. And so they may believe something that's different than me, but there's this challenge. There's this wrestling. When unity comes out of that, man, that's a ministry. And so you have to be in relationship in order to have that dissonance. You can't experience it by yourself. You have to wrestle with one another in the body. And it's not easy. It makes us uncomfortable. I know it makes me uncomfortable because personally, as I said, I like to be by myself a lot. I'd like to be married, but as Kevin McAllister said in Home Alone, you guys may remember this, he said, when I grow up and get married, I'm living alone. <laughs> and so I like to be by myself. I don't necessarily want dissonance. I want a cozy blanket and I want Netflix and I like what I like and what I like is right. <laughs> But God doesn't call us to that. God doesn't call me to that. He calls us to relationship. He calls us to unity. So as we look at in Ephesians, I want us to keep four questions in mind. And I think these four questions are, are in the programs, but I'm going to call them out so you can write them down somewhere else if, if you want to. And this is just going to be a start to our conversation. Um, and... The first question is, what is unity? What stands against unity? What creates unity? And what is the function of unity? And so we're going to start to answer these because my intention is not to give you all the answers because I don't have all the answers. Um, I'm still wrestling with all of this myself, and I'm wrestling with it with a group of people. 
Um, so I don't have all the right answers. This is a work in progress for me. However, my hope is to lay a foundation for you so that you can wrestle with this together in the groups that you came with in your communities back where you're coming from and maybe with the new friends that you're making while you're here. But first, I want to get started by reading something to you in Revelation, right? Who says that? Revelation. Oh, gosh. Um, so Revelation 2, uh, 4 through 5 says this. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds. Some of your versions may say works. Do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. That's profound. That's profound. And I think Jesus' message to us there out of Revelation should serve as a warning for us in 2019. It is our warning that as we sit in a world where our churches, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and our families are more divided than ever, these two verses are a stark reminder that we're in danger of forgetting our first love. What is our first love? Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we remember that our first love is Jesus, this unity thing becomes just so much more amplified, right? So what does it mean? What does it mean? Ultimately, when we forget our first love, it affects our unity adversely. If we're not mindful enough to take heed of the words Paul penned to the church of Ephesus, we'll end up just like the church of Ephesus that is talked about in Revelation. We'll end up just like that. And in some degree, like the church had it together. If we read Ephesians, we can look at that church and we can say, man, they're doing a lot of things right. They were doing a lot of things right. We're doing a lot of things right. But in the midst of that, we're also doing some things wrong. So let's look at some history of Ephesus, right? Because history is important for context. If we know some context, we can apply it to our current context. And so the city of Ephesus, where the letter of Ephesians was written, um, was situated on the west coast of Asia, Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. At the time Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus was written, it was one of the greatest and most powerful cities of the Roman Empire. It was a quarter of a million people that lived there. There was a harbor there. It was great commerce and business and great ethnicities came through. It had religious diversity. There was a lot going on. It was hustling and it was bustling. And it was strategically important for the gospel of Jesus because from there, the gospel could go out into the world to all these different people. As one reads through the book of Ephesians, it would seem that based on the many themes that Paul addresses, that the church in Ephesus, similar to our churches today, they were wrestling with many complex issues. One being the greatness of God. One being the goodness of God. One being the centrality of Christ. One being our identity and who we are as adopted sons and daughters to Jesus. The other being, of course, unity. Unity was another big thing, given that they were so divided and so diverse in their cultures. 
Given the reality that disunity is still running rampant in our church, this is a very valid conversation, and I can't say that enough. And this concept of one body, one spirit is still something that we're having trouble grasping today. Well, can we agree on that? Just as they did, we're still having trouble grasping this. So let's read Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. It's powerful. Paul knew how to write, didn't he? He was saying some stuff. So what Paul is trying to tell us is that this unity is important, right? It's, it's simply, it's, it's there, this unity of the spirit, it is there. And so there's three words that I want to highlight from those six verses that I want to go into deeper explanation of that are going to help us understand the scriptures better. And so the first word is tolerance. Now, I realize that some of us may have some good or not so good feelings about the word tolerance. It's one of those words that has been abused, but I'm going to try to um, redefine it as it was originally intended. Does that make sense? The biblical meaning of tolerance is to bear up and endure with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Tolerance doesn't mean that you have to condone anything that's opposite of the gospel, but it does mean that maintaining unity is more important than that which we may disagree on. For example, this means that if the worship leaders at your church sing a different song, you don't get to leave the church because of that. There's hymns people, there's Chris Tomlin people, there's Tamala Mann people, there's all these different types of music people. Just because it's not your jam doesn't mean you get to walk away. You don't get to leave the church if the brother and sister, or the brother or sister that sits in front of you disagrees with you politically. You know, we know we have Republicans, Democrats, Independents, whatsoever, whatsoever, who knows, whatever. <laughs> Um, we have all, not a reason to leave the church, so forth and so on. We have people of different races. We have people that are interracially connected. Not a reason to leave the church. It's just not. Sorry. You can't get out that, that easy. And when we try to, it's like we're like cutting off legs and arms, and then we say to ourselves, why is the church not functioning properly? I wonder why we can't get this together. We can't because we're trying to sever our body. And when we realize that we are one body, that we're connected in Christ, it makes it much harder to say, I'm going to cut off an arm or I'm going to cut off a leg. That's a relationship. You can't just do that. You can't do it. I mean, you can, but it's not going to work out well. The second word is diligent. Most of us already have a pretty good context for the word diligent. We can think back on a time in school where we were preparing for a big test or when we were playing sports. Or for those of us that are parents, I'm not a parent, but for those of us that are parents, 
You can think of diligent as, you know, you're walking with your child through really tough times. Walking with your child diligently through depression or through anger or their first heartbreak. Or you're teaching them how to ride a bike. You know, you're being diligent. And in this context, diligent is mingled with haste. There is a sense of urgency there. And there's a sense of urgency there with diligency because Paul is trying to say it is important. It is important that we make every effort, that we stay the course to build and preserve unity that we put our biases aside, that we put our assumptions aside, that we acknowledge that we're different, that we acknowledge that, but we must remain unified in that. And that's hard work. The final word is opposite of disunity. What is that? Unity, of course. The Greek word for unity is Hinotas. I probably said that wrong because I'm terrible at languages. But it's called hinotas. And it insinuates action. It conveys and implies the existence of oneness, of unanimity. The kind of oneness that exists even in the midst of all our diversity. And that's kind of a concept. I can't even grasp that to some degree. I think it's such a holy thing that it transcends what we can even see or think. This is the kind of oneness where we're uniquely created and yet we meld into one body, one body, one spirit, one beautiful mosaic that carries out multiple functions to help us fulfill our purpose as the body of Christ. And what is the purpose that we have? Julie mentioned this yesterday. We didn't plan these talks together, by the way. Um, but she said that we are to be ministers of reconciliation. That is what the purpose of unity is. It's a fuller picture of God's reconciliation. And when we do it, whether we're doing it in word or deed, when we do that, ministry goes out. The presence of Christ goes out. People see that and they say, what? How are the Christians still together on this thing? They're diverse, they disagree, but yet they love each other? That's crazy. That's crazy, and that is counterculture to the world we're living in today. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus says this about unity in John 17, 22 through 23. He says, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, and they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. It's incredible to me that Jesus was praying for us and praying for unity right before he was going to be crucified. That's how important this is. That's how important unity is. So Jesus and Paul have talked about the magnitude of unity. They have asked that we may be perfect in unity. That as followers of Christ, that we would realize that we are united already. We're united by the Holy Spirit, right? 
We all have the Holy Spirit, but we're also united by divine grace and power provided through the Holy Spirit so that we can operate as one. So when Paul tells us to live in a manner worthy of the calling, he's not talking about our individual vocations, which sometimes we get wrapped up in that, the individual vocation. Vocations are important. But what he's talking about here is, refer, is referring to staying true to the proclamation that we made to follow Jesus. The manner of living is the kind that inspires and speaks to the hearts and minds of our neighbors to our communities, to our churches worldwide. It reflects the glory of God. It reflects the heart of God. When we're living in a manner worthy of calling, in unity, in humility, with great consideration for one another, the needs of our people within our church communities and in our neighborhoods can be met. We see that in Scripture as well. In Acts 4, 33, it says this, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. This passage in Acts lets us know that our unity or lack thereof affects our fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is affected by disunity, by disunity to Christ, by disunity to one another. The message is hindered. God's still going to be God, but how we testify to him is affected. Because the lack of unity, we've been operating out of a scarcity mindset, a mindset that causes us to only think of ourselves and our own. We start to cling to things that Jesus may be asking us to let go of. And scarcity doesn't exist in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. There is no scarcity there. God says that he came to give life abundantly, that all of our needs would be met. We see that over and over in scripture. Before you even ask, he knows what you need. We don't have to cling to these things. We don't have to cling so tightly to our political views or to some of the things that we're believing on because we get so confused with our identity. And God's saying, let it go because your identity is in Christ. That's the only place your identity is going to be found in Jesus. And so as I prepare to wrap this up, I've probably been going for like half an hour or an hour and a half by now, because I didn't start my time until like 25 minutes in. I'm looking, I mean, it's fine, but I'm just saying. So I'm going to recap these questions with you, okay? Because some of the answers have already been given. This is what we've been talking about this whole entire time. So what is unity? As we talked about, unity is the existence of oneness, this oneness that transcends individuality. It doesn't ignore or bypass our uniqueness because we were all created in God's image. God sees who you are. He intentionally created who you are. He doesn't ignore who you are. He doesn't want us to ignore who you are. However, oneness goes above and beyond that, and it points us back to Christ. So he acknowledges that oneness, acknowledges that uniqueness, and drives us back to him. So what stands against unity? 
The scripture already told us what stands against unity, right? Anything opposite of humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, and love is a barrier to unity. But there are some specific things that I want to mention that are also barriers to unity. One of them, self-righteousness. I can be a very self-righteous person. Self-righteousness stands against unity. Apathy stands against unity. Prejudice stands against unity. Hate stands against unity. Ethnocentrism stands against unity. Racism stands against unity. All the isms stand against unity. These things slowly chip away at unity and they cause instability within our body. And eventually they lead to corruption and ineffectiveness and destruction and will end up like the Ephesian church in Revelation if we're not careful. Because remember, Jesus says, you forgot your first love and love will always lead us to unity. Always, 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 always. And so what creates unity then? Okay, we can think about the opposite of all those things, and we can say the opposite of all those things create unity, which is true. Um, Also, the scripture says that tolerance and humility and gentleness create unity. Some other things that create unity, community create unity. Welcoming diversity creates unity intentionally. Welcoming people that are different than you, that believe differently than you, that do things differently than you, create unity because it creates safety for the continuation of others that are different to enter into your circles. This is very important. So this weekend as you go out, intentionally look for ways where you can create unity in your spheres. Be thinking about that. How can you welcome someone in. And if you're someone who hasn't been welcomed in, think about how you can open yourself up to being welcomed in. Another thing that creates unity is love. Loved birth from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates unity. This concept of one body, one spirit, as we've come to know Christ, we are unified through the Spirit. We can't create unity without the Holy Spirit. There's no need to try. So the Holy Spirit is key to creating.